everyone. Welcome to e-commerce straight talk. I'm Sam Sprague and I'm here with Musak Song, co-founder of Penagora, which is a uh, digital e-commerce agency. Hey Moon, how's it going? It's good. It's good. It's, uh, it's been very warm here in Sweden, in, in Stockholm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting with everything that's been going on over the past like year, year and a half to see like everything that's been going on in, in different countries and, Obviously, you know, here in the U.S., we get limited amount of information about what's going on anywhere else. So like with Northern Europe, um, how did you guys fare during the pandemic? I think if we start with Sweden, I think we, we've been uh, building a, a new kind of brand when it comes to how we handle the, uh, you know, COVID-19. You know, it's, it's not been it's never been a lockdown here in Sweden. Uh, it's been uh, a lot of up to each and everyone to take their own responsibility to stay home or walk out or whatever you want to do. So I think uh, we have taken a lot of heat for that policy, but uh, it's not over yet. And let's see uh, which strategy that has been working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even with the Delta variant, we, we've had clients who've like, they've gotten it right. There's parts of their team have gotten it and they've been out for like a week. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see sort of what's going on again with all this. Um, so now Panagora, um, you guys deal in, in the e-commerce space like we do um, primarily there in, in Northern Europe. So tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, we, you know, we started year 2001. So it's been around 20 years now. Uh, working as consultants for, you know, uh, B2C e-commerce startups mostly. And um, we started completely random, you know, like uh, spring 2001 around dot-com crash. So working with e-commerce and try to sell fashion online was maybe categorized as one of the most stupid idea ever. Uh, but we were lucky to, you know, uh, run into... A, a small retailer called Sneakers and stuff selling limited Nike and Adidas sneakers, those like collectible sneakers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we still work with them today. And I would say like, uh, long story short, um, working with startups and work together for many years has taken companies from zero to 100, 150 million euro online, something like that. And uh, we learned a lot working together with um, a bunch of these companies uh, we've been involved in 17 of top 100 biggest b2c stores ranked by revenue here in sweden and again sweden is less than one percent of the global e-commerce revenues yeah so it's a small it's a small market but yeah uh, the key to success to for our clients has been they are very niche and because they're niched uh, they can do cross-border e-commerce so I think we launched Nikes and stuff in an English version one year later, 2002, and, you know, sign a contract with UPS and shipping to every country in the world and see who's, who's want to buy a couple of sneakers. And yeah, so, so there was no real grand vision or, or amazing strategy behind all these years of e-commerce. It was just uh, struggling our way forward, trying to make a living. Um, yeah, that's how it started. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I know, you know, you and I have talked in the past and I found it very fascinating. Um, even with the brands that we talk to, when we talk about getting to other, uh, markets, you know, Australia being one, um, obviously, you know, us, Canada, Mexico, and then the UK, but very rarely is it ever talk where we're ever talking about Northern Europe, right? It's just not even, it's not even a thought to get into that market. Um, so, I mean, what would you say, how would you determine if a, a brand or, you know, a company should get into Northern Europe or how, how would you know if they would be successful or not? And that's a good question. I mean, um, uh, if we start backwards, Amazon launched their first local warehouse quite recently, uh, like a year ago. And um, I think if you look how Amazon rolled out in Europe, they start with, you know, uh, Germany, UK and France, the big free uh, economies in Europe. And um, if you 
I think one reason why they come so late to a country like Sweden is we, we are such a small market. And actually they roll out uh, Amazon Prime, I mean, uh, the, the video Prime uh, before the actual marketplace, even though of course the cross-border e-commerce has been around for many years. So uh, the, from a marketing perspective, I would say two third of the digital marketing budget is, is Facebook and Google. So you can use the same toolbox uh, in Europe, uh, mid-Europe as in Sweden or in US. Um, so, but it's, it's, a, it's a rational consumer in Sweden. I think like a price comparison site has always been around, you know, it's, it's, it's a rational consumer. If they can buy a similar uh, product for the best price and the, the best consumer experience, I think. And if you, if, if you can offer that, um, you're all good. Uh, I think it's been very hard for companies in Sweden to understand how big cross-border e-commerce is, truly is in Sweden. We know that the digital transformation in Sweden uh, before Corona was about, uh, let me see if I get this right, 11% of the total retail revenue has been digitalized. Uh, that is quite low. I think the global average at that time was about 14%. Yeah. And I think uh, after last year, 2020, uh, we, we, we increased the speed and we are around 14% but then the rest of the world has increased as well. So we're still behind the global average. So I think the vertical that is most mature in Sweden is books. So it's about 50% uh, equal to toys and, and, and that vertical in US, I think. And if uh, you add streaming, it's about 65%. And then it gets uh, rapidly lower. I think like fashion is less than 20%. Let's say interiors is 15%. Beauty and cosmetics around there. And food was before Corona 1.8%. So let's say food is the vertical that has grown the fastest in terms of percent. So it's like uh, maybe four or 5% right now, but, but still on very low numbers. And one of the key reasons is that I mean, in, in US, you've been used to uh, uh, getting fast delivery quite <laughs> for a long oh, yeah. time. You, know, you talk about same day delivery, same hour delivery, but you know, last my delivery in Sweden is quite new. So one reason uh, that, uh, I mean, Amazon and those companies maybe not getting so quickly into a country like Sweden is because our infrastructure uh, from a logistic perspective hasn't been that uh, uh, you know, in the forefront. And um, yeah, so, I mean, um, uh, we're getting more mature from a logistic perspective and uh, maybe the timing now for cross-border business to Sweden is getting um, uh, more, more relevant. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so if, you, if you can find, you know, this vertical or whatever uh, that is uh, uh, relevant for you and, and you can find a hole and to be, from my point of view, if I, I would like generalize Swedish e-commerce entrepreneurship, I think we have a copy of the American Warby Parker, uh, All Birds, Kylie mm -hmm. uh, Jenner, uh, uh, Glossier, and Swan. Uh, they're like uh, 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 U.S. has U.S. has always created a good portion of first wave brands and success stories that uh, inspired entrepreneurs here and because they are not flying over directly to Sweden as a, as a next uh, tier, uh, giving Swedish entrepreneurs a lot of time to copy them and grow locally. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, the big fear uh, Swedish entrepreneurs has is that we have to quickly grow uh, from Sweden cross-border to mid-Europe and other countries before you come uh, to us. And, and, and yeah. because you, you, you're in, in, man, in many ways, not always, but in many ways, uh, the original comes from, from the States. Well, and, and I can tell you from experience working with uh, companies and, and brands from Eastern Europe and Central Europe, it's, it's tough because we've done that same exact model, right? Where it's just like, be fast, spend a lot of money and be fast to, to, to break into the market. And sometimes it works and sometimes it just burns and, and, and dies out, you know, yeah. um, it, it's very interesting to see that, you know, it's, uh, 
especially with, um, you know, and like I was saying, it's just the, the, the thought process isn't there to be like, hey, we should look into these other markets to get into. It's just not even a thought. It's like you have a couple of markets that everyone thinks about and that's it. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to get into a little bit more of that, too, because I know that you and I spoke about like uh, South Korea and, and, and shipping products and moving products through uh, allied nations and those those tax incentives. Um, you know, it, it's it's is that similar in Sweden as well? Yeah, I, I mean, um, basically. Uh, um, the company valuations in Sweden is usually lower than the exact company in US. Uh, the macroeconomy is just smaller here in Sweden. So usually we don't have enough, uh, we don't have similar fundings as the, the, the US companies get. So they need to find other tricks in the book to grow globally faster. So the wholesale business is still quite big uh, among startups to build brand awareness with global retailers. And uh, uh, because, especially in fashion industry, which is still having a huge global obsolete business model with local distributors and agencies as middle hands pushing up the retail price means that a lot of the global brands in Asia has a higher retail price because of more middle hands. So if a European or American retailer starts marketing in Asia without any discount, full price, they're usually 30% cheaper. And if you just uh, explain that to the local uh, crowd in, in Korea, for example, uh, the retailers is usually step one. They're like the first wave that builds brand awareness for a lot of brands and a lot of small Swedish brands. And that increased brand awareness is then, you know, the standard trick in the book that uh, getting search volume in, but because Google has such a small market share of uh, product search in Korea, uh, Naver, uh, which is dominating there, uh, uh, you need to work with them. So it's just a lack of working with the tool Naver instead of Google that is creating missed opportunities. So for the last four or five years, we, we've been trying to you know, fill the gaps there. Same strategy, just different toolbox. And um, it's, it's, um, if I guess like uh, the biggest European fashion retailers, their secret sauce has been uh, getting into Asia like this, and, and, um, uh, but not doing so much PR about it because they wanna keep it quiet because the local distributors and agencies are getting furious trying to understand why they're losing so much sales without yeah. seeing any offline stores opening up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious as if you've seen any, any shit, obviously, you know, when we're looking at the, the macro picture, just the, the change in e-commerce shifting, you said from like 11% to, to 14% of, of total revenue, but um, are you seeing any other major trends sort of start to shift uh, more specifically to like Northern Europe or even uh, Southeast Asia? I think what we're trying, oh, uh, oh, Northern Europe to Southeast Asia, I think um, uh, from, from a company perspective, uh, they are really eager to get there. But, you know, like to start with, uh, a lot of uh, brands in Sweden and Northern Europe, they want to start with China. But the problem with entering China as an isolated internet, you know, they have their own yeah. system, is that they, they, they it's like going back 20 years in time when eBay was like one of the destinations and Amazon and so on. It's like, it was like the gatekeepers to the consumers and, and you have Tmall, Alibaba, JD and similar kind of gatekeepers in China. Who knows what can happen in the future? But the point is, if you look who's creating trends in APAC, um, it's more, if Japan was the uh, leader in the 80s and 90s, I think Korea is taking over the lead, creating trends with K something. They have K movies, K drama, K pop, K uh, beauty, and so on. And uh, a lot of the celebrities from Korea is is the biggest influencers in all of Asia these days. And um, uh, uh, one. It's, it's like a lack of knowledge here, I think, because 
booming in China doesn't mean you're booming in all of APAC, but booming in Korea can mean that you're booming all of APAC. Hmm. So even if China is the largest e-commerce revenue market in the world, uh, Korea is still, I think, um, about to go from rank seven to fourth place because pre-corona, 22% was transformed uh, to, to e-commerce of all retail revenue, about the same percentage as in China. And, uh, uh, but it was the first country with 5G in the world. And uh, uh, I think transformation when it comes to fashion goods has the highest transformation of all countries in the world. It's a majority online. Uh, and um, so Korea in many ways is, is a good, uh, uh, country to enter and also the consumer behavior uh, among Koreans are emotionally driven uh, if you com compare them to Japanese consumer who is super rational and risk minimizing uh, Koreans are risk maximizing and super emotional so uh, they're not that loyal but they make a quick change yeah uh, so 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 and and you know like Europe or Northern Europe they're entering uh, Asia and uh, try to enter Asia in many ways. If you back going back in time, H and M and IKEA pretty much was the first companies to build like uh, the the Nordic aesthetics in design and lifestyle, creating a dream that everyone in Nordics they're equal, it's transparent, clean air, clean water, work life balance, gender equality, and so on. So they have that like. Uh, 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 dream about our, our, our area on the map. Uh, yeah. uh, and, um, but you know, no one in, uh, in Seoul or in Tokyo live in a big house with a garden and have an extra country house, you know. So when they like uh, docking into our dream these days, they're like buying something from Ikea or an, and a lamp from Denmark, whatever it is, and create their small bed corner and Instagram that, and that appears that's their piece of Scandinavia. Mm. And, and thanks to companies like IKEA and HM creating this first wave of interest of Scandinavian aesthetics, we can come with all new brands now from Scandinavia, uh, creating a second wave, curating the table or the fashion uniform that IKEA and HM is. They're building like the infrastructure. You buy the cheap table, but then you like add all, and create it with like these designer lamps and you know plates and glasses and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it's really like you know adding just uh, a layer on layer. Uh, but the thing is, every country in the Nordics except like Norway is a part of European Union. So european union has this free trade agreement with korea so everything below 150 us dollars free of vat and taxes but the thing is there wouldn't be a south korea without the us army and, and you know general MacArthur entering korea back in the days mm. back yeah. so the diplomatic relationship between us and korea is super good you can say that south korea is like a mini version of us so the free trade agreement is more generous between us and and uh uh, Korea is $200. So basically, uh, the first thing we do when we audit an e-commerce company doing cross-border from the Nordics to, to Korea is that try to understand actually how much they ship to US and then how Koreans are freight forwarding uh, the, the parcel from New York or LA to Korea. Because you save $50 in the import tax and, and the freight forwarding is usually like less than $10. So, so that is like uh, uh, data that not everyone is seeing. They see like, oh, we sell so much to the US, but then it's Korean or Asians, you know, shipping yeah. over. No, ab absolutely. And especially after, you know, the past four or five years, you know, with the, with the changes and tariffs and, and stuff like that, we can see a lot of movement even into, you know, like, like you're saying, Korea and even Vietnam and and uh, just the movement of products, you know, they may not be coming directly from China, but indirectly they are. Um, yeah. Would you say as like, say if you're, you're an American brand and you're looking to get uh, to sort of expand globally um, and, and more specifically to like Asia, would, would you look at, at South Korea as a stepping stone? Like, hey, if we, can, if we can maximize this market, it'll help us break out into the rest of Asia. 
Oh, yes, yes, totally. I mean, like, uh, um, it's the one of the fastest countries in all of APAC to respond to uh, new brands and products. Um, and the bonus, if you, if you uh, are a number one hit, uh, you can scale super quick and, and use that to scale in other Asian markets. Interesting. Cool. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting data. Like, like you're saying, like, no one would even know to look at it like that, right? How would you, how would you decide to break this out? Um, like I said, even the brands we work with is primarily like, hey, how can we get into the UK? How can we get into Australia? Because I think what, what they see is they see it as, um, you know, they look at the US market like, hey, we're successful here. And we even are a little successful in Canada. Therefore, let's look at similar markets. Okay, we're the next two, you know, talking tier one, Australia and UK, but you still have a lot to, to deal with there. Mm. You've been breaking into the UK. It's, you know, it's talking about how the different kinds of partners you got to deal with and then the, the, the taxes involved and all the costs associated yeah. with that. Um, on top of that, the regulations and, and everything. And, um, but to, to look at Asia, and I think a lot of brands just look at Asia and be like, it's our China owns Asia, like, I don't even want to touch it. Um, but to look at it from a perspective of, hey, if you could get into South Korea and make them love your products and your brand, that will then resonate with the rest of, of like what you're talking about, APAC. Um, yeah. So, looking looking at all these sort of benefits and, and moving into um you know like like we're talking about northern europe and and asia what are some of the bigger challenges more specifically to like northern europe to for a brand to get in there i mean um first is like how to build brand awareness um so um korea and japan uh, has been very recognized for being typical license uh, countries, like a brand license it to a big local company that controls the brand, even the creator own designs. It's just the same brand name. Uh, so, so it's a new thing to launch direct to consumer uh, for uh, Scandinavian brands um, into those markets. So build brand awareness has, has been it's extremely rare to see uh, direct-to-consumer brands uh, in those markets, even today. Uh, it's, it's still quite dominated by, if, in UK, you have, for example, Netta Porter and Mr. Porter. I mean, in Europe, you have, I mean, you have Mattress Fashion, Farfetch. Um, okay, Essence, I think, is from Canada, but you have End Clothing for UK. All these big retailers within fashion is, is usually the ones that build brand awareness. It's not yeah. the brands that build brand awareness. So they just like, again, like the second layer. So, so but it, it's coming now. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's coming now uh, and it's coming quite fast is because in Korea, 70% of traditional retail is controlled by four companies with their department stores. And every time a brand is getting successful in Korea, one of these four is going to try to call that brand and get the licensing rights. And in that call, they will promise a flagship store, a certain amount of department store, shopping shops, and a minimum buying. So it's very temptating to sign that contract. Yeah. But after now many years of them being successful of stopping local competition and cross-border by offering those contracts, I think their time and their strategy is now, they're losing the grip. Uh, a lot of brands is now feeling like, well, maybe we should cut. It's more like they, what Nike has done, a lot of other brands wanna do now. Uh, and like, uh, okay, let's cut you. We, we minimize amount of middle hands wholesale accounts, distributor, agencies, licensing, they just take home everything. And, and um, I think Korea is one of the markets where you could do it very fast. Uh, Koreans was just completely without hesitating, leave whatever sales channels they've been loyal to and in a split second change. Yeah. Um, so so it's, it's very doable in, in a market like Korea. Uh, 
maybe less in some other Asian markets because there is highest level of stickiness and loyalty and retention in, in, in a consumer behavior. What, what kinds of uh, uh, brands or products, you know, more like industry specific, um, you know, fashion, household goods, uh, 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 whatever are you seeing that are more successful in like Korea right now? Is there like any trends towards specific kinds of products? You know, Korea was uh, in a complete uh, lockdown. So it's interesting to see, uh, you know, which verticals that's been affected, but interior has grown a lot. People has more time to spend. They look at their empty walls, they're filling them with something. Uh, fashion for, for uh, uh, you know, uh, mid-age elderly people has grown, but school has been closed so if you don't go to school you have nothing to show off so the the, the fashion for younger kids is a completely dropped mm. um and and uh for beauty uh it has worked very well i don't know like but but you know you still have a cam you, you're still in a meeting you, you 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 still need to look good i mean like like the, the hangout fashion so is still there but yeah so it's, it's depending on age i would say um, uh, from what we have seen, um, but it's not over yet. So, so it's hard to see like the, the complete effect. Um, yeah. With the, w looking at that same question, but then looking at Northern Europe and, and Sweden, um, what kinds of products do you see like making huge movements or, or momentum more specifically like this year, like 2021? I think, the biggest change is on a demographic level, and 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 that is the vertical we talked about, the food, because mm -hmm. it's been, it's like four big companies in Sweden that controls the the the, the retail business for food. Interesting. And 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 uh, they have been extremely conservative about launching e-commerce because they want to build profitable business. And if you look at Amazon, when they tried to launch food online in the very beginning, it was they failed because they tried to build central warehouses. And in the second attempt, they, they, they acquired, you know, wholesale foods and stuff like that. And they have uh, many, many uh, last mile delivery warehouses. And, and I think Sweden, we are in this phase one. We, they, they like, uh, and, and what happened was that suddenly when Corona hit Sweden and a lot of elderly people are afraid to go out and, and, and do grocery shopping. Uh, they, this demographic group suddenly had to buy online. So it's like really uh, for the first time uh, almost regulated in Swedish history to see that uh, a whole new group entering e-commerce and that matching was not really matching with a really big force conservative attempt, not having a full blown e-commerce. So. The few e-commerce players that were out there, they were like, became super busy and grown very fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and um, you know, looking at similarly with, with 2021 and, and Northern Europe, um, and we have these, you know, more recent changes, the iOS changes over the past, like three months. Yeah. Uh, with Apple coming out with the iOS 14.5 uh, and now the 14.6 um and and this app tracking transparency and and really cutting off uh the flow of data right yeah and and it's obviously it's not out of apple the goodness of apple's heart right that's that's what their marketing team's all about like hey we're all about privacy like yeah okay whatever bullshit um and then we start seeing now that apple's starting to feed data back to like facebook right this opt-out data mm. um but we also see increasing cpms follow that um, has have you guys seen uh, 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 any dramatic changes since the changes with iOS? Things stopped working as it used to be. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, um, fr from a from a customer acquisition strategy, not really. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, PNL, uh, the budget they're doing, the the, the KPIs is very similar. Uh, until today um uh, so but yeah no not not really i mean it's been a hassle just to understand what's happening and uh, uh try to you know 
maneuver and, and, and uh, navigate. Um, but yeah, not really dramatic changes otherwise. Interesting. And now, you know, looking at the reporting and seeing like attribution levels just being completely off um, across the board, right? These are the changes that we're talking about. It's, how, it's, the, it's the, the mindset or the, the lens in which we see our numbers. It's not, it's not so specific anymore, mm. right? And so we have to kind of look at it as a, as a sort of a more macro lens. Um, but then also looking at, you know, um, this, this shift to e-commerce, you know, like you're saying, it was 11% pre-pandemic, it's around 14% now in Sweden. For us, I believe it was around 14 to 16%. And now I don't think they have accurate numbers, but it's somewhere between 25 to 30%. Yeah, right. Well, it grew in the first eight weeks of the pandemic, e-commerce uh, as a percentage of revenue from total retail grew as much in the first eight weeks as it did the previous eight years, Yeah, um, which is crazy. But what would you say is is keeping Sweden from uh, growing more in e-commerce? Would it just is it just consumer behavior, or is it just a lack of brands breaking into Northern Europe? You know, um, I would say Swedish people are very proud talking about our history, how innovative we have been. I mean, imagine we kind of invented the mobile phone. Uh, we were really uh, pioneers when it came to rolling out the first generations of 2G, 3G, and so on. But today, we don't really have 5G even yet. So I don't know the exact reasons why the speed of internet isn't the best in the world in Sweden when we were in the forefront in the very beginning, like Korea. Yeah, um, Korea and Sweden was like one, two of the few countries where the government took decision that everyone should have access to high-speed internet. And it's been, I believe there's a strong correlation between digital transformation and how fast internet you have. And um, if we don't have the speed, we're losing in transformation. Um, I think uh, uh, what Sweden, the mechanism behind the transformation in Sweden has been the same in every country, you know, availability, price transparency. But when it comes to energy and logistics, we has been really bad because we had one company owned by the government that controlled the market pretty much. Interesting. It's like uh, there would be one UPS in the States controlling the market. Yeah. So if that company is so fat and happy, they don't develop like the best last mile delivery service tracking and so on. There's no motivation for that. And, and so, so the logistics and the speed of internet, uh, lack of speed of internet, um, and uh, yeah, is, is some parameters where we're lacking. And because food is the biggest vertical of, of what Swedish people spending on, where the, the transformation has been extremely slow is also a very important reason why the transformation is so small in numbers. Um, I mean, Sweden uh, total retail spend is about 75 billion euro um, and uh, a little bit more than 10%, you know, 14% of that is now online. And that number in online revenue is what Amazon had in online annual sales, I think around 2004. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so um, the traditional Swedish retail change, the, the Swedish real estate companies are so in love with how they used to grow their business by location, many stores, and so on, that they are the biggest losers of this digital transformation. Look mm -hmm. at even H&M, how many stores they're about to close. And, and they don't even have their online store open in all the markets where they have an offline store. And why? This should be the opposite. The online store should sell everywhere, I guess. 
and uh, uh, look how the penalty they got on the company valuation being ranked as a retailer instead of an e-commerce business. The valuation just dropped. And, and now they, they, they have to switch this. And they, if H&M is one of the most successful companies from Sweden, imagine then how terrible it has been for everyone less successful than H&M. And Corona has just destroyed them. So, so I guess in the end, we're not that open-minded here, uh, or we just have the wrong people sitting in the boards of these retail companies having the, the, the like, you've been working in this company. I shouldn't say too much, you know, but the, the thing is like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, they're dying and that's obvious. I got but you. there's a, there's hope, you know, there's a new breed of entrepreneurs coming up. Um, so, 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 yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah, obviously I won't have you dive any deeper into that. <laughs> but um, when, when looking at how people do their shopping online um, in, in Northern Europe and in Korea, and, you know, we're talking about Amazon and Alibaba and like you're saying, the majority of these retail um, um, stores, what are sort of the main traffic sources to go after? Is, is it like here in the U.S. where it's, it's Google and Facebook, um, Amazon, Walmart, like that? Yeah. Or are there different uh, avenues to, to approach acquisition? I mean, I mean uh, Google and Facebook and their whole portfolio of, of channels is completely dominating here in the Nordics. Absolutely. They won the race, killed every media company that we have. Mm. We have traditional media companies, but their printing volume of paper is decreasing. Uh, their ability to convert their digital traffic into retail transaction is not best in class. Um, they get their main revenue today from like a local version of eBay uh, and stuff like that, that creates massive revenue for them. Without that, they, they would be completely destroyed as well. So, so I mean, I mean, like uh, uh, we we have successful tech companies in Sweden, like like Spotify. I don't know, they have like two hundred fifty million subscribers, maybe or something, uh, and I don't know, like 150, 180 million paying or something. I mean, they, they have they have a bigger reach than the the, the biggest like media companies we have in in the Nordics. Uh, and it's like a 15 year old company or something. So compared to like 100 to 200 year old companies. So, I mean, like um, a few companies just took the whole digital crowd and um, um, the, the few media companies that we still have that is reaching 20% uh, of the Swedish population by news and stuff is still struggling how to find our e-commerce business. So, so I, I mean, like you think about this, you know, like uh, back in the days when you could actually look into Alexa and, and look at the top ranking sites, uh, uh, you can see that um, Google and YouTube usually is very high up here in Sweden, uh, but also competing with them is like the newspapers. So yeah. for like tw the last 20 years, the biggest sites in Sweden has been newspapers. And I guess it's maybe a similar trend in other countries, but how come these media companies has been so unwilling to build e-commerce business of that traffic uh, um, with different ads, uh, products, uh, you know, building their own e-commerce marketplaces? Uh, because like these companies has for a hundred years delivered that newspaper to every single corner and Sweden is by area a huge country. I mean, it's a mega big country, but we're only 10 million people. So I don't know why we have a problem finding a, a, a way where we should live. Anyway, that's a different topic, but the best logistic business we have is those who's delivering newspapers to every apartment and house. Even a country house in some small island will get their newspaper. Uh, they could use that infrastructure to deliver a, a package of fashion or, or, or you know, oh, yeah. food or whatever. But of some strange reason, uh, they haven't done it. Like mm. the whole, the companies who have the whole ecosystem that everyone dreams about and the marketplace is building by themselves. Uh, 
the media companies in the Nordics had. Now, actually, it's shifting a little bit. Like they, they uh, in Norway, is a company like having 10,000 uh, distribution places for newspaper where e-commerce companies can leave their parcel and they reverse the whole flow. So they pick up the parcel instead of distribution newspaper, uh, bring it to the central warehouse and the next day deliver it to the houses. So it's, not, it's a next day delivery concept and is one of the most popular shipping methods, but it just started like quite recently. So, but imagine if the newspapers would have pulled this off earlier. So like the pitch to the newspapers has been like, with, with reaching 20% of the population, uh, why don't you like uh, start your own e-commerce business and then add, uh, connect that with your logistic business and kill it, especially during Corona, you know, like you could have delivered, you know, bread, toilet paper, whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, absolutely. And, and, and like, like, look at Sweden. Another thing that is, I think, unique. I think we have the highest penetration of Apple products per capita in the world. I think like we're the most loyal uh, uh, country in the world to Apple. It's like 70% of Swedish people has like an uh, iPhone or something like that. Wow. It's completely dominating. But listen to this. Why doesn't we, if we buy the i everything except the smart speaker? Like why do, do Swedish people really believe that having an iPhone by your bed isn't listening to you? Do we have like integrity problem with a smart speaker? I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's like an instant block. Smart speakers has zero penetration in this country, just a small bit. And, and that was the, like the second, like um, if you talk with every journalist in this big media uh, thing, you know, they record like this, they do audio. Yeah. So why they, why they take that order and typewrite that to a text instead of distribute a smart speaker by themselves with all the news? Because Swedish people actually trust the brands from the media companies. They, they, they listen to the news, they read the news. They would maybe accept that speaker in their home uh, because there's, they're skeptical to that Apple, Amazon speaker listening and so on. But they can sleep with their phone, of course, because that's yeah. not the same. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but the, yeah. it, like so that that was like that's another pitch. Like, hey, you can do something here, and and, and you have the crazy archive of, of stories. You know, people want to listen to. But then again, Spotify is getting po podcasts running faster, winning more crowd. I don't know, but but I think these kind of discussions is all about a part of the answering on your question, why Swedish digital transformation is so low because all the big companies isn't there. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just startups like, yes, we do King with Candy Crush uh, uh, and we, we, we have Klarna as a payment method and we have, we have really a lot of good examples of startups here, but uh, they're not uh, on a macro level or our, uh, of our economy. And, and Similarly, you know, we jump around here back to, to Korea. Um, you were talking about neighborhood, right? As as like you you need to get into neighborhood in order to um, um, really take over and, and scale in Korea. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh yeah, yeah, neighbor, neighbor, uh, oh, neighbor. Uh, excuse me, yeah, I was yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, of, no, no, no. I think there's yeah, something yeah. else called neighborhood, but yeah, neighbor. No, I, I think like um, I think neighbor has about. It's like a traditional internet portal where you can have, uh, you have search, you have news, you have uh, blogs, uh, you have your email there, uh, you have your neighbor account, so you can uh, do a product search, you can pay for it in the site and everything. It's like a complete portal ecosystem. Imagine MSN, Yahoo portals back in the days. It's still super alive and kicking. I think they have about 80% of the market share in searches. Uh, it's pretty much you wake up and you look at neighbor and you read the news. It's, it's like a, that's the consumer behavior. And, and uh, neighbor actually launched uh, a copy of WhatsApp, but it's, doesn't, it was a failure in Korea, but it's the biggest app 
for chatting in Japan of some strange reason. And the name of that app is Line. It, it was another copy of WhatsApp in Korea that took, uh, I would say 98% of the Korean population. And the name is Kako Talk and Kako means like close. Hmm. Uh, so those two are like the complete dominating channels. Uh, after Naver, until quite recently, there were two other search engines, Daum and Nate, uh, before Google. But I, I think like Google has about 20% of the market share for more smartphones. Uh, you know, Android, Samsung is completely mega big and, and stuff like that. But, yeah. but, but every time when we tr try to talk with the local marketing team in Korea and we try to convince them we have to work more with Google or something, they're like, yeah, well, maybe later. So, so even when we look at the numbers, we can still get some, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, revenue from those channels, but they're, they're still so much more focused on neighbor and another channel, and that's Instagram. Instagram has been super successful in Korea, uh, but uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, like of more than 1 million accounts on Instagram with more than 1 million followers, uh, a, a recent portion of them are in Korea, I think, and they are getting sponsored all the time. So people doesn't believe uh, when they do product placement. Then again, neighbor feels a very relevant function because the user uh, scenario is that you see something on Instagram, then you go to neighbor and, and they have like something called like a uh, cafe. It's like, eh, did you see this influencer? She was talking about that. Uh, I think it's fake. And then the marketing team is like, no, 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 it's really good. And by the way, here's a campaign code. Yeah, are you sure about that? And then you have to ask that influencer to drop like a video tutorial, like, yeah, this is how I enter this shop, ABC. And this is how you put it in the basket. This is the shipping experience. This is the unboxing experience. Look at this. And there's a video and 50 pictures. And they're like, wow, it looks so real, actually. Yeah, here, here's your campaign code. Why don't you try? Okay, I'm gonna try. And then with enough gravity of threads, you're building SEO. And then uh, if your brand is protected and, and, and registered in Korea, you can start to buy brand ads uh, together with that. And that's pretty much how you start building enough of, of ads and, and content in that portal for your brand and try to uh, you know, build uh, traffic and revenue. Um, it's a very mechanical. Um, and then there's something called blogs. And, and in Korea, they're called power blogs that you hire to you know, write reviews and, and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's very mechanical um, uh, and you have to use a lot of tricks. Koreans are very price sensitive. So there, 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 there are apps in Naver that actually calculating the retail price plus shipping price exactly. So Koreans are always calculating the total price. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Korea is one of the few countries I think where you doesn't get rewarded by localizing your site in terms of language, currency, and payment methods. Because Koreans of some strange reason think that's making the experience more expensive. Interesting. Yeah, so, so like, uh, I mean, while in Japan, 4% of the population of 127 million people talk fluent English and they're risk minimizing, you don't only need to completely translate you have to proofread, which took me years to understand what it actually is, but it's like complete correct Japanese language, not only translated. So it has to be on brand. And, uh, and, and uh, 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 completely different use of scenarios we do. I mean, we, Instagram again, super big in, in Japan, but then they go to the site, they read about your brand, they sign up on the newsletter, they want to see two free newsletter and this would take two weeks and then they are like okay you're for real and they will make their individual decision and make a transaction while in korea it's a group decision and you make a, a transaction hmm. uh, so it's a korea's are more like a wolf pack and and uh, uh, uh i think japan as economy has been richer for a longer time Korea was poorer than Ghana 50 years ago and now rank 11 by GDP 
but Japan has been a, a mature economy for such a long time. So I think you have every subculture in Japan represented. You can find every Presley community, the Beatles community, a prodigy breakbeat. You can find every subculture of hip hop vertical there, every reggae, whatever you can imagine, you have that subculture redefined, reinvented in Japan, but not in Korea, because in Korea, the parents have worked hard, forcing the kids to study hard. So there's no time to develop any kind of hobby and special interest. So when you get out there to work, well, you don't know much about you know hobby or anything. So if there's an influencer, and influence in Korea means uh, 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 successful. So, mm -hmm. so you, 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 I mean, uh, Korea, Koreans drink most alcohol in volume per capita in the world. And the two companies biggest in producing alcohol by volume in the world are Koreans and their export is less than 5%. And these green bottles, they're called soju. And when you turn around that bottle, by the way, it costs only $2 to buy one of these quarter bottles. It's not that heavy alcohol. But the, the point is that on the backside, it's you always a celebrity, like Olympic winner, uh, Oscar winner, uh, yeah. uh, someone, someone super uh, billionaire, whatever. Uh, and that that's how the Korean uh, mindset has been for a very long time. It's starting to change. The subculture is entering the Korean scene, but for extremely long time uh, in modern perspective, it's been a wolf pack. You know, whatever most successful person says, go with that. That's why you have this mega trends in Korea, like go left and wow, it's, it's yeah. like, it's like this, but it's like, oh, bam. When in yeah. Japan, it's more like, but forever up, but slowly. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Um, no, and, and I hope this gives everyone listening some some ideas. And this is why I wanted to talk to you today, right? We're talking about just these other markets to break into that are there. They're ripe for the picking. Um, and yet we still don't utilize them enough. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to thank you today for hopping on with me. Um, won't you let everyone know where they can find you online? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah search on me on LinkedIn, uh, Monsuk Song. Um, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the best way. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks for uh, talking to me today there, Moon. And uh, everyone else, thanks for listening in to e-commerce straight talk. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play Store, wherever. All right, folks, later. Cool.